You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, good morning, Life Church. So glad to be with you today, and uh, I'm excited about our topic. Um, but first, I want to share about something important, something uh, relevant, something uh, that has transcended decades, and that is Elvis. That's right, Elvis. Did you know there's a new Elvis movie coming out this summer and they expect it to be a blockbuster? If you're born after 2000, Elvis was a singer. He was really popular. I know, don't, I don't, well, you can write something in the chat. It's fine. But um, Elvis is one of the most well-known entertainers of the last hundred years. He's transcended um, decades of uh, music and uh uh, he's, he's known in every country in the world. He's, one of, he's become a universal face. His music is well known. Well, you know I can't define. Woo! <laughs> Don't be cruel. <laughs> Just put it in the chat. Uh, anyway, Elvis, uh, in 2002, 25 years after Elvis died, his album of number one hits was number one on the charts for three weeks. It just shows you how, how um, beloved he was as an artist. And yet, one of the things that anybody close to him knew was he was an unhappy and unfulfilled man. In fact, uh, his wife said this. He died again uh, at 42 of some tragic heart attack brought on by drug abuse. This is what his wife said after his death. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage, and he wouldn't have to think about it. This is what his wife said, closest person to him in the world, that he had this sense of purpose and calling that he wasn't living into, and even though he had all kinds of resources, all kinds of popularity and money. He was unhappy and unfulfilled. Elvis felt like he was made for something significant, for a purpose, and he wasn't fulfilling it. Have you ever felt like that? What, what about you? What were you created for? Uh, what are you on earth for? What's your purpose? Because as a pastor, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people. A lot of people feel like Elvis. I think it's part of the angst of our humanity, made in the image of God. And as we are separated from him and we're separated from the purpose we were created for, we, we long for that. We, and we're looking for that. And we try to fill it in all kinds of ways, don't we? Are you struggling with your purpose in life? Because maybe you feel like Elvis, and maybe you, you're successful. So he was very successful. Maybe you, you're popular, or you've gained uh, resources and possessions. You have power, maybe an influence, or you're able to pursue whatever pleasure you want, and you wonder why it hasn't satisfied you. And the answer is, you were made for more than those things. You were made for a purpose, There's, and you were uh, created for, you have a calling that God has for your life. And uh, so 
Lots of people feel like Elvis. Lots of people feel disconnected from this sense of purpose and calling. But the good news is God speaks about this directly uh, in multiple places in Scripture. And the teaching we're looking at today uh, specifically addresses this. We're in a series called uh, Jesus Is, and it's all about the I Am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. And uh, uh, we see this over and over again. And every time Jesus says, I am, he's revealing an aspect of his character and an essential need that it meets in our life. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, Jesus is saying, hey, you can eat and have a good meal today, but that's not going to satisfy the hunger of your soul. I'm the one who can satisfy that. Or when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, we're all looking for leadership and guiding and care and direction. And only Jesus can provide that for us. And today we're looking at Jesus where he says, I am the vine. And when he says that, he's talking about, I'm the source of true and lasting life and true and lasting purpose. I'm the source of a truly fruitful life. And so, uh, Jesus is going to talk about this and he's going to say that the thing you were made for is to bear fruit. This, this, uh, we're to produce certain things with our life and we all sense that and long for that. But before we go there, let me give you a little background on our passage. This is um, part of Jesus' discourse here. It goes from John 13 to 17. It is one long conversation with his disciples. He is having the last supper with his disciples. He's told them he's going to be leaving soon. He's going to send the Holy Spirit uh, as a comforter. And, um, and so they're going, to, they're going to leave the place of the upper room where the last supper is. They're going to cross the Kidron Valley and head to the Mount of Olives where Jesus will be arrested. And in less than 24 hours, he will be crucified. He knows this. And so as Jesus is uh, uh, walking with his disciples who are heavy-hearted, wonder, wondering what does he mean he's leaving us, um, he's passing through the Kidron Valley, and most people think uh, he stopped at the vineyards there because there, there's these terraced vineyards filled with grapes that uh, the people of Israel would grow. And, and, and again, they ate those grapes and produced wine, and it was a, it was a flourishing, productive countryside. And, and just imagine Jesus grabbing a cluster of those grapes and saying, come here, come close, I want to show you something, and saying what he's going to say to them next. And, um, and I, I want you to hear this with me, uh, because he, Jesus had this beautiful way of taking the everyday things of life, like a cluster of grapes as he's in a vineyard, and showing the deep truths of what we were made for and illustrating these truths with these everyday things. So in the moonlight, picture him there saying, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You he says to his disciples, are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me, he says, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm going to skip to verse 8 here. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so we have a picture here. Jesus is saying, the gardener, here's this vineyard. And who is the gardener of the vineyard? The Father is the gardener. The vine is Jesus. So the gardener takes care of this and the the vine pushes up from the rich soil. And then the branches are the followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you, you and I. And the goal here, Jesus said, is that these branches, uh, tended by the Father, uh, connected to Jesus, the vine, would bear much fruit, that that's the goal. And he lists four baskets. We won't get into this, but he basically, if you read that passage again, he's going to say, there's, ba- there's people who bear no fruit. There's people who bear fruit. There's people who bear more fruit. And then lastly, there's those who bear much fruit. There's four baskets and one goal. Jesus said, my goal is that you would bear much fruit. But it's always a thoughtful uh, exercise for us to say, which basket am I? And, uh, and to consider that today. Because the reason he names four baskets is because it, it represents all of us. And the truth is, I have been a no fruit basket. Uh, and uh, hanging out with all the other fruits and nuts around this church at times. Just kidding. But, you, you know, there's times that we're, we're in different places. And the Father prunes us and, and, and cleanses us. And we'll look, about, we'll look at that. So what is fruit? We're going to look at that real quickly. In one word, fruit is Christ-likeness. Okay? Christ-likeness. Fruit is godly character, which is our being that results in godly deeds, or good works, which is our doing. And our, again, our being and our doing are meant to be integrated. So we, who we are, like Jesus, flows out of us in how we act and in what we do. And those are the good works that glorify God. Fruit is anything we do, anything we become or do that brings glory to God and honors God. And it manifests itself in two ways from that. Inner fruit. So in inner fruit, we allow God to work in us to nurture a new Christ-like quality. And we see this in Galatians 5, uh, a familiar passage. I'm going to read it right now. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, it's the Father's goal that that fruit, do we love people? Are we becoming more loving? Are we becoming more joyful? Are you becoming more joyful? And, um, and this isn't just something we grind out and go, oh, I'm going to have a happy day today. Yeah, I hate everybody, but I'm going to have a happy day. No, it, <laughs> it's, uh, we're going to look at how that fruit gets produced in us in just a minute, okay? Because it, it's not just us grinding it out. Um, but God says when we abide in Jesus, not only does that fruit come from us, but we experience that love, the Father's love. Real joy from the Father and peace. And that's where I'd encourage you to read all of John 15. I picked it out. I can do four sermons at least on this passage. And we're doing one today. But read the rest of it and you're going to see these things uh, spoken of there. 
So it's a process. Just like uh, your garden grows, just like uh, uh, grapes grow, they don't grow overnight. Boom! They, it's it's a slow, steady process, and the, and it eventually produces fruit. And the same thing's true with us. And then there's outer fruit. And outer fruit are uh, when we allow God to work through us um, to bring Him glory. And so evangelism, when we share the love of Jesus with others, that that's. Uh, part of the fruit of we God loves us and we're sharing that love with others. Compassion, when we help people and we uh, care for them, we see and, and, and help them see and feel the love of Jesus through us. Uh, serving, when we do good in Jesus' name and help people around us or, or help bring the goodness of God to our world. Justice is one of the fruits of outward workings of the fruit. God is a God of justice. He's righteous and he wants us to right wrongs in our world, in our family, and in our lives. That's the fruit God's looking for, the inner fruit that results in the outward fruit. And if you and I truly belong to Jesus, um, he's going to produce that fruit in our life. In fact, I want you to think for a minute about you being drawn to Christ and how many of us have been drawn to Christ because of a godly person, a, a person where we saw the character and, and, the, um, and, and the behavior of Jesus. I watched God transform my mom's life and my dad's life um, and, and many others around me where I just saw Christ's character reflected. And that's probably true for you because you, fruit can't go unnoticed. It's winsome. It's attractive in, in a godly, pure way. You, you, you see these, uh, this beautiful reflection of Jesus and you can't uh, you not notice it. It's like a beautiful flower that, that you go, oh my gosh, look at that. Uh, so here's the point. God produces the fruit, but you and I have a role in the process. And we're going to say, how do we move toward that fruitful life? We're going to look at that. How can you and I live a productive life, a fruitful life, a meaningful life? And Jesus explains it here. And we're going to look at it as we dig into this verse a little more. How do we live a life where Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I created you to bear much fruit and you did. Well, Jesus tells us exactly. He says in verse 4 and 5, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is a two-fold process, okay? And, and there's our part and there's God's part. And I want us to see this because lots of times we can go one way or the other. And if we, go, if we have one without the other, there's no fruit, okay? So this is why this is so important. And so Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me. And that's a command. It's an active voice. It means this is something you and I can do. He says, be disciplined about being present with me. Be intentional. So Jesus says, remain in me, abide in me, follow me. Then Jesus says, and I in you. And that's passive. It means we, we, we are receiving what Jesus has. We can't force it. We just are receiving it. We're trusting it. We're depending on it. And, that, and Jesus says there is basically be depending on me, on my presence, on my spirit working in your life. One is active, one is passive. 
And the passive side is we can't initiate it. We can expect it and depend on Jesus and trust him to make it happen. And it takes both to live a fruitful Christian life. One alone isn't enough. And I learned this really well in a beautiful way when I was a young man. I didn't think of it at that time. But um, when I... um, uh, about how these two are tied, because most Christians, it's easy to make a mistake of going one way or the other. When I was 12 years old, <laughs> back in the 70s, I bought a motorcycle. I was 12 years old, I bought a motorcycle. And that's a picture of it, except I had a blue one, but it was at Kawasaki KE100. Man, it was so awesome. I bought it for 100 bucks. I'm 12 years old, and it was a used motorcycle. And like most used motorcycles it had used motorcycle problems so i bought it and it wouldn't and it would start and then it would die it would start and so i I took it to a guy and he said hey can you help me with this he was older and he he worked on bikes and he said yeah i want you to empty out the gas and everything else and put fresh gas in make sure it's all fresh so there's no water in there i dumped the tank and so i take it over and he goes did you put the fresh gas and i said absolutely i filled it up with fresh gas and he said okay here's a screwdriver take the screwdriver and we're going to unscrew the spark plug. You put the screwdriver there, touch the head of uh, the engine, okay, the, and, uh, and, and the spark, and keep the spark plug close to the engine so that it'll be close enough so that arc will fire and you'll be able to see if we're getting spark or not, right? So I'm holding that there, and some of you know what's going to happen. And he, I, he goes, you got it? I go, yeah, I got it. And he kicks the bike over and I go, wow! Oh, this spark, this electricity went right up my arm. Man, I got a fro. No, I felt like the top of my head was going to pop off. I got jolted out of my mind. And, um, and I learned a really important lesson that day. Never touch a spark plug when someone's turning over the engine, okay? Never did it again. Uh, but here's the real lesson, okay? You're, I know you're laughing. It's funny. Ha, 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 Alex. You're a doofus. Okay, I got that. I was 12. I used to drive, we used to drive cars back in the 60s and 70s without licenses then. See, I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Anyway, and here's the real lesson. It takes both gas and spark to make the engine productive. If you only have gas and no spark, no go. If you have spark all day and no gas, no go. You have to fill the tank with gas and make sure you have the spark and it takes the gas and the spark to make the engine productive. And so Jesus is saying a version of that same thing. Abide in me. That's us. We can fill the tank. There's things we can do that um, where we're disciplining ourselves to be intentional about seeking God. And then he says, and, I, and, and as I abide in you, and he's saying, uh, make sure... You're relying on me, that you're connected uh, as much as you can, and that you're depending on me for that divine spark. And as we have that gas and spark, the engine is productive. And as you and I uh, learn how to abide in him and uh, depend on him, trust him to abide in us, uh, that's when the Christian life gets fruitful. And um, without it, with only one, it's fruitless. So Jesus said, remain in me and I remain as I remain in you. And The first piece of this is how do we have a productive life? We're disciplined about being present with Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Be intentional. Actively seek me. And so he uses verbs. He uses commands. He says, abide in me. Remain in me. Follow me. Stay with me. And 
Um, and in this passage alone, uh, you're going to see uh, at least three references. I, I would say there's four. Four ways Jesus says we can abide in John 15. And the first thing he says is, my word, he says uh, in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Okay? Jesus is saying, let my word abide in you. Um, because if you and I are going to be productive, if we're going to be fruitful, we need his word. We need to obey it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he's saying, you need to abide in my word. You need my word to fill your heart and your life. And that's actually what we're doing right now. So way to go. High five your neighbor. Yep, yep. This is you saying, I'm, I'm opening myself up. I'm trying to receive the word of, of the Lord and be present with Jesus and be responding to that word of the Lord, which goes to the next thing. So we receive this word and renewal comes from the word of God, the renewing of our minds. We're transformed, the renewing of our minds. And then we obey that word. So Jesus said, it says in this passage in John 14 and 15 um, and 13, he says, love one another. So that's my word. And now I want you to respond to my word. I want you to discipline yourself to act on my word, which is obey my command. So love one another, forgive one another, reach out to one another, minister to one another. And then we pray. So Jesus said, I want you to seek me in prayer. I want you to uh, uh, be calling on my name. Jesus said this in John 14. He said, pray to the Father. And he will give you. There's so many good gifts God wants you and I to have. And you know what I'm convicted of? Still, regularly, after following Jesus for decades and decades, I want something or I'm frustrated I don't have something and I haven't asked God for it. Lord, I want a, a deeper sense of your presence in my life. I'm asking you for it. Lord, I want to love the people around me more. Lord, I'm asking you for it. Lord, I want to be more filled with your spirit. I'm asking you for it. How many things are we frustrated that God isn't giving us and yet we haven't asked him? You do not have, James says, because you do not ask God. And a prayer is showing that active dependence on the spirit. And again, that may relate to the next one down, but I just want you to hear that. We need to pray. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And he's, when he says that, he means he's speaking to the fact of ask for those things, you know, I want for you and I'm going to bring them to you. You want to have love? I'll give you love. It's the fruit of the spirit. You want to have more joy? I'll give you joy and I'll show you that path. You want more peace? I'll show you how to go there. And then lastly, confession. That when we sin, we admit it. So Jesus talks about us being cleansed, the branches being cleansed by his word. And there's this sense of, we hear that word, it convicts us. And there's a cleansing that happens because we go, oh yeah, I'm not doing that. Jesus said, you know, uh, surrender your, yourself to, to me and follow me. Give generously, he says. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Forgive as I've forgiven you. Yeah, I'm not doing that. And we should receive conviction and that should lead us to confession. God, forgive me. I'm frustrated with this person and I'm not forgiving them and I'm confessing that. I, I, I want to be more like you. Lord, I know that you want me to be more generous and I'm not being generous. I'm being stingy. I'm, I'm being Lord of my life instead of you being Lord of my life. Forgive me, Lord. I'm confessing that to you. When's the last time you confessed to God about stuff in your life you know is wrong and you know is hurting you or hurting others? We all have it. Okay, we all got junk in our trunk. 
you know, like Elvis, a lot of junk in his trunk. But, you know, uh, anyway, we'll stop there. So these are some of the basic disciplines of what it means to seek God actively. And Jesus talks about each one of them in this passage. They, they come up. And his point is there is no chance of being fruitful if we don't do these things. And so these are the basics. And that's why we need one another because here's the thing. It's not about us gritting it out and grinding it out individually, sitting on your couch, hoping something's going to show up. That's why you and I have to be at church and community. Not because we always want to go, but because we need to go. Uh, and we need to be in a small group. Not because, you know, people don't bug us. Man, Mrs. McGillicuddy, she bugs me. She's kind of a nag in my group. She talks a lot, but uh, I need her. I need, I need her. I, I was just making up that name in case you didn't know Mrs. McGillicuddy. But, you know, we all have a Mrs. McGillicuddy, right? She's an extra grace required person. And by the way, if you feel like that all the time about all the people in your group, you're probably Mrs. McGillicuddy. And that's okay. We all got stuff. So let's go back to the verse. Uh, uh, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus is saying, if you remain in me and I in you, you can do nothing. Now, do nothing does not mean you can't, uh, you can't function. You're still able to function. You can do a lot of things without depending on Christ. You can try to raise a family. You can... Uh, build a business. You can be very active. But what Jesus is saying is nothing you do will have any lasting impact without Jesus being in the middle of it. And so don't confuse doing things with abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Jesus says, don't confuse that. You can be very depend, uh, busy, but not be dependent on Christ. So how do we live a productive life? We're dependent on him. That's what Jesus said. Be depending on my spirit. Be depending on my life. Be depending on my power. Be depending on my guidance. And this is the wonderful balance of the Christian life. Without dependence, discipline is empty. And so we, we're just religious then. And without discipline, uh, dependence is flaky. And, uh, and I'll, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, when I was a new believer, I was on fire and I didn't know much, but I was so excited. I was reading the Bible for the first time and growing and I was uh, serving and I, 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 God was just producing so much good stuff in my life. And eventually though, I got into a habit. I did all my disciplines and I got those down, but I, 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 I felt a conviction from God. And I remember one morning in prayer, God, God basically putting his finger on my heart and having this sense of, you're doing a lot for me, but you're not doing anything with me anymore. You're not depending on me. You're doing this all in your own strength. And it was an empty time, a flat time, and it was a time where God had to break me down and I needed to re-surrender uh, uh, my life so that it was, I was dependent on him and experiencing his, his presence. And, uh, and so uh, that's one way we can go. The other way we can go is this, and I had a friend who I, I uh, said, hey, there, you know, you should go to Bible study at your church. And I, I, they came back and I, I said, I said, how is Bible study? He said, uh, yeah, I'm not going back. And I said, why not? He goes, well, I went to this group. It was kind of creepy. And, um, and the, you know, the guy, they were, they were hanging out there. And um, I said, hey, isn't this a Bible study? Are you guys doing, the, you know, Gospel of Matthew? And he goes, the, the teacher said, I'm waiting on a word from the Lord. And they were all just sitting there. And that sounds really spiritual, but when we don't prepare or we don't do anything and we're not inviting God in and we all of a sudden think all of a sudden, 
a word from the Lord's going to show up. Uh, that can sound very spiritual, but what it can turn into is dysfunctional and kind of ugly um, because we didn't put in the effort of seeking Jesus that whole week before. And yeah, the Holy Spirit can show up and, and lead us in a direction, but we gave him the, the fire of the Spirit. We should be chopping that wood all week. So when, when we're building that bonfire, the Spirit has something to ignite. And uh, that's, again, the discipline independence. Let's go back to the motorcycle example. The gas tank is kind of like our discipline. It's, it's on us. It's our responsibility. And think of the spark plug as the divine spark of God. And that's on God. But we're depending on God to bring that spark, to bring that life, to start the engine. In Psalm 27, there's a beautiful picture. David, who uh, is a king of Israel, it, incarnates this so well. In Psalm 27, he said, hey, you want to know what my main prayer is? This is the one thing I ask. I want to dwell in God's presence. I want to dwell in your presence, Lord. And that's convicting to me because if, if you got to saw all my prayers over the last three months, is that what my number one prayer would be? If I saw all your prayers off over the last three months, would that be your number one prayer? I want to dwell in your presence. I want to depend on you. I want to, I want to, I want to seek your spirit. You know, uh, or your, is your mind wandering like mine often does? You know, dear God, you're so awesome. Oh, shoot, I forgot to mow the lawn. <laughs> Squirrel, right? And that's okay. God's good with that. But we want to come back to our, God's presence is the most important thing. So what would you say is the one thing you asked for most if you think about your prayer life? And David does this. He models this discipline and dependence. And in 1 Samuel 30, before he's king, um, he's had great military conquests. Saul, the current king, is trying to kill him. David's still trying to be faithful to the Lord and protect Israel's borders, but Saul's trying to hunt him. And so David's, uh, David's out with his men on a, uh, protecting Israel's borders, and he's keeping his family in a town. And in 1 Samuel 3.30, he and his men return I'm sorry, 1.30, return, and um, they find their families, uh, where their families are staying. And it says this, When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured as well. So David and his men are broken. They, they're here protecting Israel's borders, God's country, and his men are broken. The village is burned. His families are taken. They're weeping, and they're wondering, what are these animals doing? So a raiding party comes in while they're out doing the right thing. And, um, but it gets worse. It says in verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. So all the guys are going, whose fault is this? And, and then they go, well, David, you're the leader. It's your fault. And now this is really telling. This is where this all comes together. Because what does David do? The temptation of most of us would be to run or react. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. So David is disciplining himself to seek God, even in that crisis moment, to be present with God, to abide in God. And it says, and David prayed. He inquired of the Lord, Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will we overtake them? And he hears from the Lord, pursue them, he answered. And David dwell, uh, depends on God's life and God's power and God's guidance to direct him. And God leads him to rescue his family and all the men's families. When God prompts David to do something, David obeys. He goes and does what God says. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Our life is often a crisis too. And here's David in the middle of a crisis, seeking God, praying. And then when God tells him what to do, he goes and obeys. 
That's a picture of David disciplining himself to seek the Lord and then depending on God's spirit to lead him and guide him and direct him. Is that how your life with God looks? Because it's what Jesus wants. It's a beautiful picture right there, a a little mini narrative of how Jesus said, when you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. And we still talk about David and his kingdom because of his radical dependence on God and his repentance when he sinned and his love for God and his love for his word. So Jesus is saying, I want you to have a fruitful life. Learn to be with me. And how do we do that? We, we embrace God's word and we, and we uh, pray real prayers of what's going on and what, we, and what we long for. We want to long for what God longs for and we obey. We say, God, I want to depend on you. Produce fruit in my life. And then we depend on God. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you. I have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit that you're going to work in my life. Produce this fruit because you want me to experience your love and your joy and your peace. And he even says it in this passage. And we will. If we learn this, discipline plus dependence equals a fruitful life for God. It's what he wants for you. It's what he longs for. And it's not impossible. It's all about being intentional. Okay? So let me ask you this. Where is your next step of discipline with God? Maybe God's saying, look, I want you to be in my word every day. There's a Bible in one year that's a great app. You can look it up online. Or... Um, pray as you go. And these are great apps. They're 10 minutes or so where you're in the word, you're hearing a devotional, you're being guided in prayer. Maybe that's your discipline. Um, maybe it's you praying for God's presence like never before. Maybe it's taking this passage this week and praying through it and saying, God, produce this fruit in me. Maybe it's meeting with a pastor and saying, I need some help here. Can you help me? Maybe it's getting in a small group. And then what's your next step of depending on God? And often that step of dependence is this radical trust in God, but it often involves obedience where you sense God prompting you to do something. So maybe instead of being in a small group, God wants you to lead a small group and you're like, I don't have what it takes. And God's like, depend on me. Maybe it's you joining a ministry. And again, you're saying, I don't have what it takes. And God's like, depend on me. Watch what I do when you depend on me and I show up. Maybe it's reaching out to a friend in need. He is the vine, we are the branches. And here's the promise of Jesus. If you remain in him and he remains in you, you may bear fruit. No, it says you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's be those who remain in him as he remains in us. And and imagine what God will do through this church. Let's pray. Right now, when it, if you've never received Christ, for you to be in the vine, it starts when you say yes to Jesus. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, to trust him and to follow him and to receive his forgiveness and new life, then I want to invite you to do that with me right now. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, uh, I've been apart from you. I have been apart from you in my life. I've done so many things in my life, but I don't know if I've done things that are going to last, good things that will continue to be good and last. And I realize now it's because I'm doing it all apart from you. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me for my sins. I know I've fallen short. And Lord, I'm trusting you as, as Savior, and, uh, to, and I'm asking you to save me, Lord, from all the brokenness in my life. I'm asking you to forgive me and cleanse me, pour out your Spirit on me, Give me new life like you promise and help me now to follow you. I want to, Lord, I want to learn to abide in you and let you abide in me. And I pray that you would help me to live a fruitful life, a life that makes a difference 
where I fulfill my calling and I bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed and you made a decision today, would you let us know? Would you put that in uh, the chat or message us? And uh, I pray that you will have a great week and a fruitful life. God bless.